0: Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. If you're a regular at Gateway, you know that over the last couple of weeks, as Mike said, we've been doing a series um, a little bit different than we normally do because normally we're in the scriptures, but the last three weeks have been more a historical study than probably um, a delve into the scriptures, we've been looking at um, fresh moves of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. Uh, Not this church, I mean the church universal. So we looked at the Jesus movement of the 60s and 70s, we looked at the charismatic movement of the 70s and 80s and then last week we talked about the, uh, what Peter Wagner has called the third wave, which is the empowered evangelicals, people like uh, John Wimber. And the, the goal was actually to change and head in a different direction, but as we were considering where we are at and kind of the feel of how people were responding, we just thought, you know, why don't we just carry on for a little while in this whole area of being revived Rather than looking at historical studies as I have done, I want to delve into the whole idea of being personally revived by hearing God's word to our heart. One of the things that people often do as they listen to revival stories, whether it's Lonnie Frisbee or John Wimber or Catherine Coleman or whoever, and you hear times when God spoke to them. Remember last week John Wimber talking about the time that he was in the motel room on his knees and God said to him, John, I've seen your ministry and it's kind of like this, but I'm now going to show you mine. And we come away from those situations, or at least I do, and I wonder, uh, how did he hear that? Was that an audible voice? And listening to those kinds of encounters sometimes leaves people, ordinary people like you and me, feeling on the outside looking in thinking, that's not my experience. I don't hear God like that. And among the many questions that form in our hearts is like, I wonder why he never speaks to me like that, or at least not that clearly. Or, uh, you know, is it, how, how do you hear God's voice? What does it mean when people like the pastor say, oh, God really spoke to me? Should I even expect to hear it? So these are the questions that we want to turn to over the next couple of weeks, recognizing that a real freshness comes as God does speak to our hearts. You know Psalm 119, at least in three places, verse 25, verse 107, and verse 154, the psalmist says, revive me according to your word. Now I know that those passages, particularly Psalm 119, are speaking about the reviving that takes place as we're in the scriptures, But I want to suggest to you that I'm not sure that it's limited to that. I think God speaks to us, obviously in our interactions with the scripture, but sometimes he speaks to us in different ways, personal words to our heart that bring a reviving and a refreshing of his life in us. When you start talking like that, some Christians, uh, they hear you say, look, you can hear God's voice, it doesn't always have to be in the scripture, it makes them incredibly nervous, They are very happy with the idea that God has spoken, but they are very suspicious of people who say that they hear God speak today. Now, I do want to go on record at the very start of this series by saying that Scripture is the most consistent and most important means by which God speaks to His people. It's the standard and the plumb line by which we judge any other purported word that comes from God. And the Scripture reliably fixes the boundaries of everything that God will ever say to mankind. But I would want to say that to limit God. To interacting with us only in Scripture I think in my view is to limit him now I know that people who take that stand that God only speaks through the Scripture do so because they intend to honor the Bible but but I would want to suggest that I think it does so with a zeal that's not according to knowledge because the Bible actually is a record in itself of God speaking to people in all kinds of different ways So Job chapter 33 and verse 14 says this, God does speak, sometimes one way, sometimes another, even though people may not understand it or perceive it. There are three things I want you to note from this verse, and first is the tense. God speaks. It doesn't say God spoke, it says God speaks, and he continues to speak. That reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, when he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that... The Greek is, is proceeding out of the mouth of God. Yes, God spoke, but he hasn't now suddenly pushed the mute mute button and stopped. He is speaking. So God speaks. And then it says, secondly, he does it in all kinds of different ways. Sometimes one way, sometimes another And that reminds me of Hebrews chapter one, verse one, where it says, long ago, God spoke to our fathers in many different ways, through prophets and visions and dreams, and even face to face, it says. So God is speaking. He's speaking in many different ways. And Dallas Willard comments, we should expect nothing else for this variety is appropriate to the complexity of the human personality and the cultural complexity. What he's saying there is by virtue of our personality, God's God God speaks in different ways to touch us where we are, who we are. Finally, that passage in uh, Job says people don't always get it. People don't always understand what God has said or don't always perceive it. It's not that God's on mute. It's sometimes that our hearing perceiving faculties are deficient. And I think that's why Jesus said, at least on 15 occasions, he who has ears, let him hear. So for me to limit God Uh, and say that he only speaks in the scripture is what I call Bible deism. Now, that's an unusual word. Deism means it's the belief that God created the world, then vacated and said, it's over to you, it's yours, go, and no longer acts within the world. That's what deists believe. Bible deism is the idea that God gave us the Bible and has effectively vacated the scene, pressed the mute button so that now there are no personal interactions, no miraculous exchanges, no divine communications that are outside the scripture. Now, I want, I'm very aware as a pastor, the dangers inherent in the idea of God still speaking. And we've probably all met what I call message every minute Christians, where God apparently tells them every morning what to wear, what to eat for breakfast, what route to take on their way to work, uh, and and on and on it goes through to bedtime, and and it's just staggering what they believe they hear from God. Actually, one of the funny stories of Gateway is that once I did this message and said that, and somebody came up to me afterwards and said, God does tell me what to wear in the mornings. And I'm sorry, I was very, very carnal, because I looked at them and thought, no, he doesn't. He's much better than that. So that, I'm glad I didn't say it to her, but it, you know, we've all met those kinds of people, and quite frankly, our observation is that people who live like that, or at least profess to, often end up weird, fruitless, and sometimes friendless. And what we've decided is that we aren't going to be like that. So we think they've clearly gone off the deep end and the problem is we throw the baby out with the bathwater. And it doesn't occur to us that perhaps going off the shallow end might not be as, uh, as pleasant either. Yep, you can go off the deep end. Who wants to live in the shallows? Hearing God Hearing God's voice might sound presumptuous, it might even sound dangerous, but consider the possibility that it might equally be as presumptuous and as dangerous to undertake a life where you don't listen to or hear the voice of God speaking to you. Now, for some of us, the problem is that we... um, It's not so much that we don't believe that God speaks to people, we just don't imagine that he'd want to speak to us, you know, like, why why would he bother with me, I'm I'm nobody special, I'm not the Pope, and, and I just don't think he'd be that interested in speaking to me. Richard Attenborough directed a movie called Gandhi, and there's a scene in the movie set in South Africa when Gandhi is a young lawyer, and he's walking together with a white clergyman that at that particular time in South Africa was against South African law, and they got accosted by some brutish-looking young white males in a group who seemed to be set. To do them real harm but just as they were about to start the mother of one of the ringleaders of the group shouted out from an upstairs window telling him to move on and not bother the people so as they go the clergyman exclaims to gandhi about um well but that was lucky good luck gandhi comments luck he said i thought you were a man of god and the clergyman responded i am but i don't believe he plans his day around me And kind it generally gets a giggle, but it says something about what we think about God. We don't believe he plans his day around us either. He's way too big. He's way too great. He's way too transcendent to plan anything around me. If I'm lucky, somehow I might fit somewhere into his huge plan, like a little piece of Lego in the big picture. And we assume that such a view of God's greatness actually honors him. I'm not sure that it does. His greatness is exactly what allows him to actually plan his day around you and everyone else for that matter. I know it's hard to grasp the concept of the lowliness of God, but it's the lowliness of God and his greatness that precisely makes him available to think about and be ready to speak to people like you and me. I love what 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says in the Living Bible. It says, he is always thinking about you and watching everything that concerns you. Friends, how often is always? He is always thinking about you and thinking about the things that concern you. I mentioned this morning that a friend of mine, James Ryle, once did a little mental exercise with us and it always stuck with me. I wouldn't push it too far, but, but he said this, the Bible tells us that God has created uh, the world by, by his word and he upholds it and, and allows it to continue by the word of his power. Hebrews chapter one and verse one and two says that. So creation is not only a demonstration of his power to speak things into existence, but also a demonstration of his power to maintain them on a daily basis by his speaking. So God holds all things in place and keeps them functioning by his word, which is an extension of his thought. Then he said quartz is one of the hardest substances known to man. In order for quartz to maintain its hardness, it oscillates at nine billion times per second. God maintains that hardness and those vibrations by his word and by his thought. It's an expression of how fast God can think, James said. Nine billion times a second, and maybe faster than that. And then he said, you know what, there are seven billion people in the world that allows God to speak and think about you every second and still have time to make courts vacillate and and oscillate at that speed. That's an interesting thought, that God would think about you always, every second, you're on his mind. Most of us struggle with that because, as I say, we can imagine that we might fit into the great plan of God, but the lowliness and greatness of God, actually, he's thinking about you and everything that concerns you. So he, he does want to speak to you. If he thinks about you that, you that often, do you think that he would want to actually speak to you occasionally? Now, I know if we're honest, some of us aren't too keen on hearing the voice of God because we know that it'll mean change. And that's a bit daunting and sometimes not always welcome. Somebody told me the other, day, <laughs> the other day, they said, I'm not sure I want to trust God and put my life at his disposal. He's pretty high maintenance, you know. And I jokingly said, well, one of us are. One of us in this conversation a high maintenance. I'm not so sure it's him. But, but, you know, he could really mess with your life. He could send you to Africa. Oh, maybe I don't want to hear, you know. Um, and we can be like the children of Israel who said to Moses in Exodus 20:19, you speak to us and we'll listen. We don't want to hear from God directly. We're afraid that if God speaks to us, it will cost us our lives. And the truth of the matter is that it may do exactly that if you hear God's voice. It may cost you your life, but you, but your life is lost always with the understanding and God's purposes. When you lose your life for his sake, you find it. Okay, So you don't need to be afraid of that. But for some of us, it's much easier to hear God's words secondhand. Don, you you preach it and and, and, and tell us what God says, because you see, when it comes to an intermediary, well, we can analyze, we can debate, we can argue, we can propose, we can employ a number of techniques to uh, critique the go-betweens message, and thereby avoid dealing directly with God. What do you think of the pastor's message? You know, well, you know, I mean, I don't, know, and we, and we, and we don't want to deal directly with God because when God says something like that, then then it's really hard to analyze and to um, debate, when God's word comes to us, it'll change us, for good or ill, depending on our response to that word. So sometimes, I think subconsciously, people almost opt for an ignorance as bliss option in, in order to keep their lives, such as they are, intact. Now, another key issue in terms of hearing God's voice, and what I'm doing really is just kind of setting the scene for the next few weeks, but another key issue in hearing God's voice has to do with um, our willingness to hear God speak and even what we think we hear from God, if he does speak, it, it's impacted by the way we see God. I didn't express that very well, but what God says comes through the filter of how we view him. And, and uh, we live truly at the mercy of our ideas. It's never more true than uh, with our ideas about God. In fact, A.W. Tozer once said, the most important thing about any person is how they think about God. And how you think about God creates a filter that effectively uh, impacts the the revelation that comes your way. So, misconstruing the nature of our Heavenly Father and His intent for us can be a filter through which any communication that comes from Him can get distorted. So, it's been said, we we don't see things as they are, we see things as we are. And that's very, very true. Your perception of what God's like will be a filter through which you will interpret whatever revelation comes from Him. So, people, for example, who see God as a bit angry, uh, a bit hard, a bit unyielding, hard to approach and impossible to please. Now that perception may well have been formed by the first authority figures in your life, your parents, your teacher, perhaps a pastor, but but you now have a perception of, of God who is hard to approach and hard to please. And what happens is words that you hear coming from God often go through that filter and get distorted. I had a lady in the first church that I pastored who would um, regularly bring me words from God. I've got a word for you, Don. And uh, after a while I found out that they were always really hard, really harsh. There wasn't a modicum of encouragement or affirmation in them. One time she said, Don, the Lord says you're leading the people of God backwards. Okay. Next time she came to me, said, Don, the Lord said you're leading the people round in circles. I didn't say this, but I thought, well, it's probably better than going backwards. At least occasionally I look as if I'm going forwards. Then another time she came to me, Don, the Lord's not pleased with you. You're reading too many books. It's like, okay, well, I'm guilty of that one. I'll admit that. But the only positive thing about her words from God is that I was really consistent. Okay, Every time it was was like, you're not doing well. And I I understood that this um, dear lady had a father, a human father, who was very tough, very religious, very legalistic, very hard to please. And her grid, at least as far as it went in my direction, had never been purified or healed. And, And it showed in the kinds of words that she thought she heard and that she brought to me. The perception was twisted by virtue of, of her experience. You know, you know that parable of Matthew, Matthew 25, it's called the parable of the talents, where Jesus, or, or the master rather, gives n- his servants different talents, and they, some of them go invest it and, and, and multiply it. One of them hides it in the ground, and when the master comes back, he digs it out of the ground and he says, I knew you were a hard man. And the Greek is a really strong term. It means violent, uh, uh, severe, even repulsive. I knew that you were this kind of person, so what I did is I brought this back. I was frightened that I might lose it and and, uh, stir up your wrath. Here's what you gave me. How did he know the master was a hard man? The other servants didn't seem to share that perception. They felt released and, and uh, empowered to go out, to show initiative, to actually trade with the, the talents that they had. that They weren't troubled by that same perception. Trying hard not to stir up his apparent wrath, this servant missed out on the possibility of entering into the joy of his master because his perception was so distorted. Some of us share that kind of deception. Maybe not to that degree, but we go about thinking essentially that God at a low grade level is pretty ticked off with us, that he really doesn't like us that much. Some of us need to take a month or a year maybe even to meditate on a verse like Zephaniah 3, verse 17, which says, the Lord your God is with you, he's mighty to save, he will take great delight in you, he will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. That word to rejoice over means to leap up and down under the, under the influence of violent emotion. He thinks about you all the time, maybe every second, always thinking about you, always thinking about the things that concern you. And some of you might say, yeah, I know what he's thinking too. (laughs) Well, no, I'm sorry, you're wrong. Jeremiah says, I know the thoughts that I think concerning you. They're good thoughts. They're not the thoughts that you think I think about you. And we need to get that into our head so that our perceptions, so that the filter starts to get changed. Now, I know that there are other people at the other end of the scale. There are those who believe God is hard, unyielding, hard to approach and hard to please. And at the other end of the scale, there's people who see God as a benign Father Christmas type figure who would never say a confronting or corrective word to anybody, covered in golden syrup and dripping with love. Those kind of people don't have the capacity to hear a word of correction, a word of rebuke. Their grids simply won't allow it. I'm not quite sure how they read the book of Revelation and the seven letters to the churches, which are both affirming and challenging. So I I know that none of us see clearly. Okay, Paul says, we all see through a glass darkly. So all of us need our perceptions and our filters touched and and healed. Uh, Otherwise, we can filter out what doesn't already fit with our preconceived ideas and assumptions. I suspect that's one of the reasons actually why Jesus refused to do religious stunts and signs for those who demanded them of him. He knew that such signs and stunts, no matter how wondrous they would be, would be fruitless against their already well-established false ideas and mindsets. So what we do here is if we're wanting to hear God's voice, we're saying, Lord, help me renew my mind. Romans chapter twelve verse two. I need those perceptions cleansed of the bad ideas, the poor ideas that I have concerning you. Now, some of you might be thinking, Don, you know, you, you mentioned before about the message every minute, saints. But, but I, I have a question: If if I expose my life to God's speaking to me, and 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 He starts talking to me, doesn't that create the risk that I will end up sort of almost robotic, you know, like like one of the Stepford Wives. Now, I I don't know how many of you have seen the movie, I know it's been done a couple of times, but the Stepford, uh, Stepford Wife, the movie, is based on a premise that involves the married men of this fictional town called Stepford in Connecticut and their fawning, submissive, and impossibly beautiful wives. A woman comes from New York, Joanna Eberhart, and she's a talented photographer. She comes with a family to Stepford, eager to start a new life, but as time goes on, she becomes increasingly disturbed by the submissive wives of Stepford, who seem to lack any free will. And any independent-minded females that come to Stepford very soon fall into line and become these mindless, docile housewives who just smile and do whatever their husbands want them to do. As the story progresses, Joanna becomes convinced that these wives of Stepford are being poisoned or brainwashed into submission, and you can watch the movie if you want to find out what happens. I won't spoil it too much. But some people are frightened that God is trying to make Stepford saints, you know, that are, that are submissive, that are docile, that don't have a mind of their own. Listen, if God had wanted to create a world of robots instead of free people, um, he, he could have done so. He wants free people who will love him freely and partner with him in cooperative creativity. He doesn't simply want direction and conformity from us. He wants genuine relationship. You see it with Abraham. As God says to Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom. And, and Abraham doesn't go, whatever you say, Lord. Yes, sir. He says, really? What about, what about the righteous people? God says, well, you know, if there are 50 righteous people, I'll save it. Abraham starts bargaining. You can only do that in the context of intimate friendship. He he bargains God down to 10 as the friendship. He's not a Stepford saint. You know, the Bible says that the wisdom of God is easy to be entreated, which means there's a time when you say, really, Lord, can you unpack this a bit for me. Can we talk about this? And in the context of relationship, he doesn't simply say, when I say that, you jump. He says, okay, let's, let's, let's explain. Let's talk. That's the wisdom of God dallas willard says in close personal relationships conformity to another's wishes is not desirable be it ever so perfect if it is mindless or purchased at the expense of freedom and the destruction of personality god is not about to try and destroy your personality and make you a stepford saint E. Stanley Jones, the wonderful missionary to India, said the development of character rather than direction and this, that and the other thing is primarily the purpose of the father. He will guide and speak but not override and dominate. Suppose a parent would dictate to a child minutely everything he or she is supposed to do during the day. That's the message you know, per minute saint the child would be utterly stunted under such a regime. The parent must speak and guide in such a manner and to the degree that the autonomous character capable of making right decisions for themselves is produced. And God does the same. He is not a helicopter parent hovering over you, marching, you know, getting you to do this, that, the other thing. No, 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 not, not that jersey. Don't wear that jersey. I want you to wear this one and on and on it goes. We demean God immeasurably by casting him in that kind of role. The autocrat whose chief joy in terms of relating to human beings is ordering them around, taking pleasure in the fact that they jump at his command and painstakingly note every time they don't. That is not the God of the Bible. That is not the God we serve. There's no danger of becoming Stepford saints if we say, Lord, I want to be in a kind of relationship with you where we can talk where I talk in prayer and I hear you speaking to me. So you might be thinking, Don, well, so far in this sermon, I hope, hopefully, you know, um, nearly finished, um, that you've been, you've been trying to convince people that are hesitant or maybe even resistant to hearing the voice of God, but, but I'm not like that. Don, I really want to hear God. I want to experience his voice and his leadings. What would you say to me so that I can position myself so that I can be in a place where I can hear well, the rest of the series will be for you, but let me give you a couple of very brief takeaways this evening. Each of these probably deserves a sermon series. You're not going to get it. But the first point is, if you want to hear God speak, be in the Scriptures. Okay? There's no point trying to hear, in fact, I'd go further than that and I'd say, it's dangerous trying to hear God speak if you aren't presently neglecting what God has spoken. So be in the Scriptures. You know, um, the Bible is the best-selling book of all times. They did a survey in the US, 78% of people own one, 9% of people read it on a regular basis. I doubt that it's much different in New Zealand. Most people have a Bible, the problem is they simply aren't in it. They don't read it. Scripture is an expression of God's mind and heart. And as we read it, as we study it, as we meditate on it, as we memorize it, we increasingly come to share that mind and that heart. And when it comes to hearing Jesus, the Bible is the language of his heart. Think of the men on the road to Emmaus. Well, there was one man, we don't know who the other one was, it may have actually been his wife. But as they were walking on the road to Emmaus, Jesus joins them. They didn't recognize him. And often, you know, this process of learning to hear God is a process of of not, not knowing for a start, not understanding, but beginning to hear him. As they are walking on the road to Emmaus, he starts unfolding the scriptures to them. It's how their heart burned within them. And you know, for every person who gets encountered on the road to Damascus with bright lights and a booming voice, there are a thousand who in the Scriptures, as it begins to be unfolded, find their heart burning. I think Scriptures is the most, dramatic, the most consistent, um, the most important way of hearing God's voice. So be in the Scriptures. Stock the pool of your mind. By that uh, metaphor, I mean, you know, sometimes you go to places like a trout farm or a salmon farm, and they give you a rod, and you cast it in, and you're going to get something because they've stocked the pool. They know that you're going to catch something because they have filled that pool with fish. Imagine there's nothing in the pool and you're casting your rod. There's just not going to be. Stock the pool of your life with the scriptures. In John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus said, The Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Listen, reminding somebody of something presumes that they've already been exposed to that information. It's not new to them. The Holy Spirit will often take passages, words, verses that you have put into your heart and bring them back to you at crucial points in time. So be in the Holy Spirit, So be in the uh, Scripture so that the Spirit can take what you have read, studied, memorized, meditated on, and bring it to you in, in, in particular situations. I think probably most often that's how I've heard God's voice. There are other ways, and I'll t- we'll talk about those over the coming days. But there have been times when I have needed a verse, and God has just popped it into my mind. I mentioned this morning there was a time when Karen and I were going through a very traumatic time with a family member. and Actually, there was a moment when we were in one another's arms, sobbing our hearts out. Something had transpired. It was incredibly traumatic. We were both just weeping. And into my mind comes this verse, weeping endures for the evening, but joy comes in the morning. Just, just out of the blue. And you know, I have to admit that um, I, I came away thinking, "Lord, was that you, or is that just you know wish fulfillment?" You know, I know the scripture, I know where it comes from, and and I guess it would pop into my mind, you know, at a moment like that. Lord, if that's you, would could could you just confirm that to me? I know the day of the month that that transpired because it was the 29th of whatever month it was and the reason I know that is the next day was the 30th and I read through the psalms sequentially so on the 30th I read psalm 30 psalm 60 psalm 90 psalm 120 psalm 150 and so my first psalm was psalm 30 and then I get to verse 5 and it says weeping endures for the night but joy comes in the morning and it was like the Lord just saying it was me there was another time when I was doing, <laughs> I've told the story so I won't go into it all, I was doing something that I wasn't quite sure was right. It wasn't a major thing, well some of you might think it was, but whatever. I just, I did this thing and as I was walking out of the shop with my lotto ticket, I said, Lord are we okay with this? And uh, and wick as a wink. I mean, very forcefully, it just, it, I didn't even think it. It was just thoughts that I didn't choose to think chose me to think them. And it said, Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. It's from Romans chapter 14. And what the Lord was saying to me is not, Hey, none of you should be buying lotto tickets. I'm not saying anything about that. What he was saying to me is, Don, the very fact that you would have to ask me, Is this okay? makes it thin ice. Why don't you just walk in faith? and do things that you know I'm happy about. And if you think there's something that's maybe a little gray, just just steer clear. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. On both those occasions, I knew those scriptures, but they came to me just with such power. Stock the pool of your life with scripture. Be in the scriptures, because so often it's how he speaks to people. John Wesley, it was said of him that he was homo unus liberi which means he was the man of a single book. Now John Wesley actually was very, very well read. He read widely, but he was the man of one book. He meditated in the scriptures. He soaked his life in the scriptures. It's probably one of the reasons that God used him so powerfully in revival. So that's one work on. Here's two more very quick work ons. Work for purity of heart. Aim for purity of heart. Matthew chapter five verse eight says, "Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall perceive or see God." And in Proverbs chapter twenty-two verse eleven, it says, "He who loves a pure heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king for his friend." This is a relationship of um, of intimacy, of friendship, and he says, "You pursue purity." And you'll be my friend. Jesus said to his disciples, I don't call you servants anymore. Servant doesn't know what his master is doing. Instead, you're my friends. I call you friends. And everything I've learned from my father, I will make known to you. Pursue friendship. And one of the aspects that I think creates powerful friendship is purity of heart. And the last thing is cultivate humility. Can I have the musicians as, you can, as I finish this off? Humility of heart. Proverbs, uh, sorry, Psalm 25 verse 9 says, The humble he guides in justice, the, uh, uh, the humble he teaches his way. You know, Elijah heard the still, small voice of God. As he came to the entrance of the cave, he heard the still, small voice of God. In order to hear the still, small voice of God, firstly, you've got to be still, and then you've got to be small. Not wise in your own eyes, not presumptuous, not pushing your own barrow, but the willingness to humble your heart before God and simply say, Father, would you speak to me about this? I, I, I often pray, one of my most often prayed prayers, Lord, I'm a little child. I don't know my left hand from my right. Please, direct me, lead me, give me, give me wisdom. Humble your heart before the Lord. Stock the pool of your life with scriptures. Create or, or pursue purity of heart and, and humble your heart before the Lord. So over the next few weeks we're going to explore these subjects or this subject in a bit more depth. I invite you, if you're part of Gateway, to send in your questions. Uh, If you've got a question in terms of, hey, how does that work? What does it mean to... whatever. Send them in and over the next couple of weeks, Chris and I will do the very best we can to sort of bring some clarity if it's possible. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website gatewaychurch.org.nz